And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I asked the question last week, who is this Son of Man that would be lifted up? And last week we looked and we learned that he is the, if you remember with me, it's the Beast Slayer, the Cloud Rider, and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And and Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So we went back to the book of Numbers and we said, what does that look like? And in Numbers chapter 21, we looked at how the children of Israel complained. And God sent fiery serpents into the camp. And those fiery serpents bit the people. And they went to God and they said, God, we have sinned. They acknowledged that they were sinners. That they had done something wrong. And they said, God, we need your forgiveness. And God told Moses to lift up that bronze serpent. And we looked at how they they kept that bronze serpent after they had looked and lived. And they hid it for a long time and they brought it back out and, and... They worshipped it. They gave it a name. They made it a false god. And and it became a totem for them. It wasn't until the days of good King Hezekiah. We're going to talk more about Hezekiah, I hope, next week. And as we look at Hezekiah, he was a different kind of king. And he looked at idol worship and he said, I want to destroy this. And he destroyed that bronze serpent. And if there's something that I, I wish that we could do as Christians. I wish we could take and we could say, there are things that we look to and we say, oh, I'm a Christian because I do good things. I feel like I'm going, okay. This, we know that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves. It's not wearing a cross or going to church or putting money in the offering plate or doing good things that earned you eternal life. It's by looking to Jesus Christ, the lifted up Savior, His finished work on the cross. And if you want eternal life, you must believe that Jesus is the promised Son, the loved Son, and the only Son of God. We see so many times, I've already mentioned it, the key word of this book of John is believe. Believe, 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 believe. A hundred times written in the book that you need to believe. And everyone is compared. Do they believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, or don't they? Not only is he the promised Son, love Son, and the only Son, he was sent to be an atoning sacrifice in our place, for our sins. And you might say, I have no idea what you mean when you say an atoning sacrifice, Pastor Scott. Uh, I hear words like that, atonement, and, and I sit in church and I just get confused. That means that God has no tolerance for sin. His sin demands that His wrath be poured out on it. 
But when Jesus comes as an atoning sacrifice, he satisfied the wrath of God by dying for us on the, on the cross. He was lifted up on a cross for our sake. The temple of his body was destroyed. We looked in John chapter 2, and if you've been listening to me the last couple of weeks, we talked about how Jesus Christ said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He gave his life in our place. We also need to look and live at the cross and understand that three days later, he himself, every word I try to use up there, I try to make be important. Literally, physically, rose from the dead. He finished the work, and he came back to authenticate that the job was done. He put a seal on it, and he promised it, and he authenticated it. It's, it's an amazing thing that we see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The person who believes in this becomes born again. We talked about what it means to be born again, to have new life in Christ. New spiritual life. He becomes alive to heavenly things. He becomes spirit filled. And transferred from the kingdom of this world. Into the heavenly kingdom. Of Jesus Christ. That will last forever and ever. As we talk about this. The first thing that I want you to understand. And probably the most important thing to understand. Is that there are two types of people in this world. And I'm not talking about male and female, black or white, or there are two types of people in this world. And that's the only thing that I really care about. And I believe that's the only thing that God really cares about. That there are those who believe Jesus is the Christ and those who don't. That's what it all comes down to. That's what matters. That's the whole point of this book. And the question that's asked today, and, and the one that I would like to talk to you about, is to look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus wanted a debate. He wanted to talk to Jesus about all these different, you know, Jesus, nobody can do these signs unless he comes from God. And Jesus says, you got to be born again. He says, what do you want me to do? Crawl back up into my mother's stomach and pop out a second time? And Jesus is like, don't you understand? I want to talk to you about heavenly things. And today, let's get rid of all the questions. Let's get rid of all the debate and the the conversations that get us nowhere, and let's get down to the choice. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe in what He's trying to do? That He has prepared heaven for you? That He looked at your sin and said, even though you are a sinner, but God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we believe that truth, we can go to heaven to be with him. That's what it spells out. That's the whole point of what Jesus Christ is trying to say here. That if you believe in him, you should not have perish, but have eternal life. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. And then as I continue looking in John chapter 3, we, we get out of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And we get into the next part of the book. And I, I have it up there. John chapter 3, verses 23 to 36. The testimony of John 
part two. We already looked at Jesus, at John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus Christ a few weeks ago in John chapter 1. When John saw Jesus coming one day and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we talked about what he meant when he said Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we looked as John the Baptist said, There is this person coming after me whose shoes I'm not even willing to lace up. He who is after me must be preferred before me. And here as we read in in John chapter 3 in our scripture reading this morning, that still holds true to John. So one of the things that I've tried to do is as we've gone through this book, I put tombstones every once in a while. When we come to a character, we just got done with Nicodemus and we said he was the searching scholar. And we've already looked at, at John the Baptist. And the thing that we put on his tombstone is Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus is number one. I need to be number two. And in your life, that's that should be the testimony of your life. Jesus is number one. I am number two. So at this particular time in the story, it says in verse 22, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And John the Baptist is there, and Jesus is there, and they are both going around sharing this message of repentance. And that they need people needed to come to God and get their sins straightened around before God. And they were baptizing people. And so John and Jesus are both baptizing people. And John's got a ministry going, and Jesus has got a ministry going, and people are both getting together and, and they're responding to the call and they're being baptized. And it starts this little debate, and these guys that just just they're sometimes they're just troublemakers. People that you almost wonder, like, do they just walk around and just look for ways that they can cause conflict? And there are some people in this in this situation who are doing this to Jesus and John the Baptist. They're saying, well, do you know that Jesus is baptizing people? John's baptizing people? Who's baptizing more? I, I don't think that that's the question that needs to be asked. One of the things that is always kind of bothered me about Christianity. Not a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the system of Christianity is that we worry about the size of your mega church or the size of your ministry or how many kids are in your youth group. You know what's important? Is that you're sharing the gospel and you're true to the book. If you're a Sunday school teacher and God gives you one child, praise the Lord for that one child and give it, give it your all. If you're working with kids and God gives you 100 kids, praise the Lord. And work, work the best that you can. God's given you 100 kids to work with. If God has asked you and He says, what my ministry I'd like you to do is I'd like you to 
pack a shoebox. Do it to the best of your ability. And if you get two shoeboxes, great, wonderful. You did the best that you could. The, the, someone shouldn't have been saying, well, John, you're baptizing more than Jesus, and Jesus is baptizing more than you. Who's got the bigger count today? The thought should have been, people are getting baptized. Praise the Lord. We, we take numbers on the back of the board, and that's fine. There's no problem with that. But that's ir- irrelevant because if there's a number of kids, if there's 32 kids in Awana clubs and there's nobody sharing the gospel, that's a problem. If there's 32 kids in Awana clubs and kids are learning memory verses, the gospel's going out and kids are getting saved, praise the Lord. That's what's most important. It was interesting as you read in this passage of scripture, just kind of a side note. But they chose this place because it had much water there to baptize people. Um, And this isn't just because this is a Baptist church, but we believe in baptism by immersion. That it's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we believe that, you know, in baptism by immersion. And when Jesus uh, said, hey, there's a lot of water here. Why not? Why don't we baptize people here? That's just evidence of that. And the question becomes, well, what is baptism? The point of baptism is to show a life that has been changed. You're born again. You have new life in Christ and you're living for him. The natural thing to follow a believer whose life has been changed is that they follow in believers' baptism. It is the natural progression of being born again. And so if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and your life is different on the outside, and you want to show the world the evidence of that, one of the ways of doing that is by getting baptized. And this caused an argument. Do you know that Jesus is baptizing more people than you? And you know who has an awesome response to that? Is John the Baptist. In verse 27 it says, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. For yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, he who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And he who has been, who has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. The father loves the son. 
and has given all things into his hand. He who believes the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And so John's answer to this question fits exactly what his his description is all through his life. Jesus is number one, and I'm number two. As a matter of fact, as you read this this passage of Scripture, he's talking about how it's not a competition. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the setting there is that Paul had had a ministry in Corinth, and there was another guy by the name of Apollos who had had a ministry in Corinth. And some people are saying, well, I'm of Apollos. And others are people are saying, I am of Paul. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, it says, Who then is of Paul? And who is of Apollos? But ministers through whom you have believed. And the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. I, I, I like to think about that. We talked about baptism a minute ago. Let's say we came to a baptismal service and, and someone's getting baptized, and they're over here and they're getting ready to, to be baptized, and the minister says, well, could you tell me about your salvation? You're thinking, oh, great, I can't wait to hear this. I, I had that kid in Sunday school, and he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior like four times when I was down there. Because, you know, that's what kids do. Like, I, I, I'm so guilty of that. Like, when I was a kid growing up, and I, I like, accepted the Lord, like, seven, eight, nine thousand times. Or, and you probably, you probably, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's true. Because you, you wonder, you begin to question, was it real? And that, and you say, oh man, I can remember that kid praying the sinner's prayer like four times. And you think they're going to give a testimony that I led them to the Lord. And they get up there and they say, you know what? There was this other Awana worker who led me to the Lord. And you go, oh, I thought I'd led that kid to the Lord. Who cares? What's important? The kid's going to heaven, right? It says here, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Paul. It's all about Christ. And we might sit there today and we might say, oh, well, I like, and I like. You might have your favorite evangelist, your favorite teacher on the radio. It's fine, it's good. But it's all got to be about Jesus Christ. In the end, the message has got to be about Jesus Christ. Because I can think back on, on my life, and I hope you can too. I can think about so many people that played a small part in helping me develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what's important. And, and John the Baptist was a guy who got that. And he constantly said, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus 
Look at Jesus. That's what's important. Salvation comes from heaven, not from the works of man. I can remember a kid who whenever I'd talk to him or whenever he'd be talking about somebody, he'd say, he'd say, Pastor Scott got me saved. No, I didn't. And I told him that a few times. I said, I, said, I didn't get you saved. Jesus Christ got you saved. Praise the Lord, I, I shared the gospel. That's a privilege. Not something to brag about or be boastful about. But it's Jesus Christ who changes your life. God just uses us. You know, so, sometimes maybe you shared the gospel. And you played a little part. And you never see that person again. You witness to, to someone at the doctor's office. Someone at the restaurant. And you don't ever hear anything again. You might get to heaven. You might find out that you played an instrumental part in that person coming to know Christ. But you never knew about it. Because it happened years later. And they just thought about it. Thought about it. Thought about it. And then someone else came along and watered that seed a little bit more. And a little bit more. And a little bit more. Another verse. And one that I quote often. And I just. I love this verse. Titus chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6. Which says. Not by works of righteousness. Which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us abundantly. What, what an amazing passage of Scripture. Salvation is all about Jesus Christ. And his work. John the Baptist spelled it out very, very well when he said, uh, Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm just the groomsman. I am just privileged to hear the voice of the groom. And I, I thought about that. There's been a lot, of, a lot of weddings that I've participated in, that I've been the officiant at. And I thought back to it. And I thought, I don't think I remember the best man in one wedding. I could tell you who the bride was and who the groom was. At least I hope, you know, but 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 I can't tell you who the I, I thought back, I thought, who was the best man in that wedding? I have no idea. Who was the best and, and I thought I could think of who some of the groomsmen were, but I don't remember the best man. And John the Baptist says, Hey, in this Jesus versus John the Baptist debate, uh, I'm a groomsman. I'm a guy who's just sitting here doing nothing. And tell, tell me, what do groomsmen do at a wedding? Right? Right? And being an officiant in it, I can think about the jobs that the bridesmaids do and the maid of honor and the parents and the grandparents and the bride and the groom. But groomsmen, there, there was a play at school that they did a few years ago called The Wedding. And in that wedding, there was a, in that play that they did at the school, there was a song and it talks about the groomsmen. What am I here for? I don't know. Why am I here? I have no idea. I just came for the free food and the chance to trash the car. 
And John the Baptist says, I'm a groomsman. Jesus is the groom. His bride is the church. And that's what's important. And he compared himself to a groomsman. He said, I'm not important. It's Jesus Christ who is important. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue that thought. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so here, here we begin to see that Christ is the groom. The church is the bride. And Christ loves that church. And he cares for her the way a man ought to love a wife. And I know that often we see that that's not the case in this world. Is that there are some husbands that don't love their wives the way they should. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus Christ says, or Paul says, let Christ be the example. He loves his church. He cares for her. He protects her. And he's preparing her for that wedding day. He is preparing for a special day. And it's coming soon. When Christ is going to call for his bride, that he has been preparing, that he has been getting ready for a very, very, very special day. And I don't, I don't know about you guys out there, but when I hear that there's going to be a wedding of somebody I kind of know, usually the first thing I think of is, oh boy, there goes my Saturday. <laughs> and I just, I know a bunch of you guys feel probably the same way. But when it's your wedding day, you've got a different perspective on it. And Jesus Christ, calling for his bride, preparing her for that special day, is the next wedding I'm looking forward to. And I don't think to myself, oh boy, there goes my Saturday. I think, oh great, here comes my eternity. And it's something totally different. And it's coming soon. In Revelation chapter 19, we have a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. I can't, we, we sang this song. I'm going to heaven, can't wait. I'm part of the church, and I'm looking forward to the day 
that we go to heaven to live with Christ forever. We won't ever have to talk about the aches and pains that are here on this earth. We won't have to worry about the bills that seem more than how much money we get in a week. We won't have to worry about our troubled neighbor. All we'll have to worry about is our eternity with our precious Lord. And in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6 it says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lord has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell as it, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here we have the bride prepared for the wedding feast. Pure and holy, ready for this special day. I look forward to that And as, as I read this passage of Scripture. Just to be a part of that. To, to have a little part in seeing the multitude come. is worth it in this world. And I look forward to that day. And I look at that passage and I read I kept us reading to verse 10. And you go, why, why did you include verse 10 in there? Where John, all of a sudden, he, he gets down on his hands and knees and he almost begins to worship this angel. And what does the angel do? He says, no, no, no. I'm just an angel. Worship Christ. It sounds a lot like what John the Baptist is saying in John chapter 4. I'm just the groomsman here. I'm just honored to be a part of the day. Look to Christ. That's what's important. The bride is important. The, the, the groom is important. All of us onlookers, we're just happy to be there. And so the church is important. Growing the church is important. Sharing the gospel is important. Because the marriage supper of the Lamb is important. And so we, must, we need to echo the words of John the Baptist. He must increase and de- I must decrease. I... I found that little thing online as I was putting this together and looking stuff up. He is greater than I am. And that's what we need to have an attitude of. That Jesus Christ is what's important. When we go out in the world, we represent Jesus Christ. As we live our lives, we we are ambassadors for the cross. And it's getting closer every, every day. The Christian life is about Jesus Christ. Why we're here and, and what we do is to represent and glorify God. I call this the testimony of John part 2. I believe that the book of John has a purpose. 
And that purpose is that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you would have eternal life in his name. John spells that out. And he says, he says, I want you to believe. And so what I'm going to do is for the next 21 chapters, I'm going to put Jesus Christ on trial because, because through his life, Jesus Christ put himself on trial over and over again. He said, I'm going to give you proof. I'm going to give you the evidence. Here is the evidence. And so one of the things that, that Jesus Christ and the, and the Gospel of John does is he puts John the Baptist on the witness stand. And he says, here is my testimony. Jesus is God's son. Believe it. And in the end, you hear a lot of things, a lot of people whispering in your ears. You turn on the television, you walk down the street, you have conversations, you listen to the radio, and you hear all types of things. And, and in the end, sometimes you don't know what to believe or who to believe. Sometimes you'll turn on the television and You'll see court TV or something. For some reason, that's exciting to watch. And you'll listen to two different types of testimony. And you hear two people say exactly the opposite things. And you go, I, I don't, I have no idea. I'm so glad I'm not on that jury. I'm so glad I'm not that judge because I don't know who to believe. Somebody's lying. John says, I'm going to give you 21 chapters. To give evidence that Jesus is the Christ. And at the end, you've got to make that decision. I started off this morning on purpose. Laying out how you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. John did that. I, I didn't come up with that outline. John came up with that outline. John chapter 3. 16. You guys know it? If you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, you can have eternal life. And then John the Baptist comes up and they say, John, we've got a problem. You're baptizing people. Jesus is baptizing people. What makes you better than Jesus? What? And John says, hey, hey, let's stop that right now. Stop the debate. Jesus is better. And here is my testimony. Jesus is God's Son. And I'll tell you what, my testimony, to, what I say doesn't make a hill of beans, right? But my testimony and the testimony of a lot of people out there sitting here is we believe that Jesus is God's son sent to this world to die for you. And three days later, he rose again. And if you don't believe, you haven't said, I, I, I don't know if I believe that. I'm telling you, here's the witness Here's the testimony. A guy that was a cousin of Jesus said, I'm here to testify. That man is God's son. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you example after witness, after proof that the Bible lays out that Jesus is God's son. In John 3, Ends just the way that I began. 
When it comes down to it, there are two types of people in this world. Let's look in John chapter 3, verse 36, and see John's conclusion to this whole matter. He says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. I wrote down in my Bible right next to that verse. Those are some very, very harsh words that Jesus said. I started off. I like to you know, begin someplace and then by the end I like to wrap it all up on a Sunday morning. And I start off talking about that word atonement. And how Jesus Christ satisfies God's wrath. It says right in there. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Just like the children of Israel in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 21. They were sinners. And they were facing the consequences for their sin. And today, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you are in danger of the wrath of God. There is a penalty for sin. Every single sin. But at the same time, there is an answer for sin. And that answer is Jesus Christ. Because there in that verse it says that there are two types of people. Those who believe in Jesus, they have eternal life. Those who do not believe in Jesus, what they have waiting for them is the wrath of God. I believe in Jesus. And in believing in Jesus, I believe that I have eternal life. My heart breaks, my heart is burdened for those who do not believe in Jesus. Because I read these words in John chapter 3 and verse 36. And I know how close, how close salvation is. In Numbers chapter 21, when faced with the problem of their sin, Moses said, you've got to look and live. And in John chapter 3, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ himself, says you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Don't be so close to the gospel this morning without ever believing it. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ today. Find Him to be your personal Savior. Don't neglect this great gift. I'm asking you today, we spelled it all, all out up there this morning. I can go through it again to you. Why don't I have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes this morning? As we close, I'm going to ask the question. It says in that verse, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. You say, Pastor Scott, 
I want to believe. I'm not sure if I've ever believed. Maybe even this morning you say, just like you, Pastor Scott, I've prayed that prayer a hundred times, but I really want to know for certain, for sure, that I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I want to trust Him. I want to believe. If today, if you say, I, I, I want to make that decision. I want to become a believer. Someone who believes in Jesus. I've never done that before. I want to make sure today. Would you just slip your hand up? No one's looking around. And say, I want to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I'd love to talk with you. There are many people here that would love to share their testimony of what God has done. Just slip it up quickly and put it down. I'd like to pray this morning and pray for those of you who might be on the fence. You're not sure. But you'd like to know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether you're on your way to heaven or not. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning the message was about letting Jesus be number one. Well, we are number two. A message that you in the Gospel of John gave multiple times through your servant, John the Baptist. Help us to serve you this morning as believers in Jesus Christ on our way to heaven. Thank you for the gift of the cross. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.